0: When you ask someone what they think of when they hear of Martin Luther, you normally conjure up some image of the 95 Theses, Luther's points for debate over the selling of indulgences. Now the 95 Theses are interesting. It's a good story. Luther goes to the church door and pounds in his statement of faith. Everyone else around him can just deal with it. He's made the stand. It has a kind of dramatic, made-for-the-movies feel to it. But the 95 Theses are also a little bit tricky because they don't really give you a sense of the arc of Luther's theology or kind of a big picture for what he's doing. The selling of indulgences are a symptom of a bigger disagreement going on. Even if the Catholic Church had reformed the sale of indulgences, as they later did, there still would have been a disagreement between Luther and the Catholic Church. The fundamental issue that started the Lutheran Reformation was about the extent of the Pope's authority, not the doctrine of justification. Justification became the center later, after Luther sharpened his thinking in response to the Catholic reaction to his writings. So instead of starting with the 95 Theses, I want to start with another one of Luther's writings, The Freedom of a Christian. The Freedom of a Christian was written in 1520, three years after the 95 Theses. And a lot happened in those three years in between. So to catch you up here, When the Vatican found out about the 95 Theses, they sent a cardinal up to Saxony to talk to Luther. And Luther thought that they were gonna have a chat, figure out what the differences were, get everything straightened out. But Cardinal Cayetan, the guy that the Vatican sent, was told that Luther needed to recant or be brought to Rome. And he needed to recant or take back two things. One was Luther's claim that the treasury of the church did not contain the merits of Christ. And the other was Luther's claim that faith creates the certainty of forgiveness before the priest offers absolution. So another way to put this is that Luther thought salvation was given in Christ, not something that was dispensed out by the church. Now what emerges here isn't just a disagreement over ideas, but over what the foundation for the arguments are. When Luther asks for scripture to back up the claims of the Catholic Church, Cardinal Cayetan keeps coming back with references to decrees from the Pope. And eventually, about 15 years later, Cayetan would come back with an argument that was based on scripture, but it was far too late by that point. There were more debates over Luther's position. Luther eventually claimed that the church and the church councils could err. When you go back and read this conversation between Luther and Cayetan, it's just two people talking past each other. So when the church issued a bull giving Luther 60 days to recant and come back to the Catholic Church, Luther waited the full 60 days. And then he got together with the faculty at Wittenberg and they had a bonfire. And they burned a bunch of books by Catholic theologians and then Luther took the papal bull and tossed it onto the fire. And a few days later in 1521, Luther was officially excommunicated. The freedom of a Christian was written in 1520, right before Luther was excommunicated. And the basic argument can be summed up in two sentences. A Christian, Luther writes, is a perfectly free lord of all, subject to none. A Christian is perfectly dutiful servant of all, subject to all. So one way to think about what Luther is doing here is to think about two types of relationships. You have what Luther calls, sorry for the gendered language here, The inner man, which is your relationship with God, and you have the outer man, which is your relationship with others. So let's think about your relationship with God first. You are brought into right relationship with God, Luther believes, by having faith in Jesus Christ. And faith isn't something you can create or build if you try hard, it's something that God creates in us. That's why when we talk about grace, you don't contribute anything to it or do anything to deserve it. You don't have to do anything or contribute anything to get right with God. Luther says that it is evident that no external thing has any influence in producing Christian righteousness or freedom or in producing unrighteousness or servitude. That includes doing good works, performing certain kinds of rituals, whatever you might want to come up with. So you have what Luther calls freedom. You are free from the demands of performing certain rituals or doing certain good works. You don't have to do them anymore to get right with God. Now, this is where the talk about freedom usually stops. You have the freedom from doing something. Freedom just means getting off the hook from having to do something, or it means getting away from other people. But what matters, Luther says, is also freedom for other things, namely for the good of your neighbor you can stop worrying about whether your life is good enough for God and see your life as being oriented toward the good of your neighbor. I'm going to read this little Luther quote, which is a long, but it gets the point across here. Here we shall answer all those who offended by the word faith, and by all that has been said, now ask, If faith does all things, and is alone sufficient unto righteousness, why then are good works commanded? We will take our ease and do no works and be content with faith. I answer, not so, you wicked men, not so. We do not, therefore, reject good works. On the contrary, we cherish and teach them as much as possible. That's the end of the quote. And now you can see how freedom has two sides here. We're freed from the demands of doing good works and freed for the welfare of our neighbors. The freedom of a Christian is being free to serve others without worrying about our own salvation. Now let's step away from the 16th century and think about this in terms of our own context. One area of debate that comes up frequently in studies of the Reformation is how the Reformation affected the lives of women. Were women better or worse off after the Reformation? Can you describe the Reformation as having feminist values? The answer to those questions depend mostly on which women and whose feminism you're talking about. In the class we have coming up, we're going to be talking about a chapter from a book on Lutheran feminisms by Deanne Lagerquist and Karen Rizwold. One of the themes they see stretching out from the freedom of a Christian to the contemporary feminist movement is one of authority. Who is it that has authority? For Luther, it was a question of whether authority was embedded in tradition, in human institutions, or in God. As the authors put it, authority in this sense is God's alone. This was an essential element of Luther's reclamation of justification by grace through faith and the rejection of works righteousness. The priest or bishop does not have authority to forgive. God forgives. quote. So there's a connection here. Whereas Luther thought that the church had privileged some individuals over others, giving them the authority to forgive sins and the like, Contemporary feminists call for egalitarian systems that spread authority among people. Instead of patriarchal systems, that concentrate it in one person who, as luck would have it, is usually a man. The egalitarian impulse means Luther didn't see pastors as being above their congregations, but as serving alongside them. There's also a similarity between Luther and the contemporary feminist movement views on vocation. In Luther's time, vocation was something that was reserved for a certain class of people. Some people had a vocation, some people didn't. It was a way of ascribing value to certain occupations, especially offices in the church. But for Luther, we all participate in the mission of God through service to our neighbors. It's not set aside for one type of person. So everyone's work and relationships and life have equal value. This is where the pivot from the inner man, your relationship with God, to the outer man, your relationship with other people, comes into play. As Lois Malcolm, who's a Lutheran theologian, puts it, the Lutheran understanding of vocation is that which one does, whether in the home, at work, as a public citizen, and so on, for the good of the neighbor to enact God's creative purposes in the world is an important point of resonance with feminism because it affirms God's ongoing presence in transforming activity in the world. This notion of vocation puts the value of work, paid or unpaid, that is often undervalued into the center of what we value as a church. While there are a lot of other resonances, there are also some disconnects. For one, the Lutheran rejection of religious orders closed off one avenue that many women had for education and women in the Lutheran tradition couldn't be ordained until just a few decades ago. It's also likely that, though contemporary feminists might find some themes that they like in Luther's work, the Reformation didn't change all that much for many of Luther's female contemporaries. That's it for this week. Next week we're going to be talking about Luther's introduction to Romans, as well as a book called The Writing in the Wall, which is about the Reformation as a social media movement.